we're all on the same page. No, just for a few minutes, I'd like us to think about where we are in our story uh, going through the Bible. So uh, in the beginning of uh, January, the first Sunday in January, we kicked off at the beginning of the Bible, and the last Sunday uh, in December, uh, we're going to get to the end, all being well, uh, to give us an overview of the story. And so we're rattling through sometimes whole books at a time. This morning, we're going to rattle through the whole of somebody's life. And that's the life of a man named Saul, who was Israel's first king. And we're going to think just for a few moments about the big picture of his life, because uh, even though it was now nearly 3,000 years ago, there or thereabouts, that he lived, he speaks right into our current situation. You see, when you look at the big picture of this man's life, it teaches us a lesson that all through our lives we're trying to unpack, trying to make sense of. And that's that you can have everything and still not find what you are looking for. Imagine that. You can have everything and still not find what you are looking for. What Saul faced is familiar to so many of us. Commentators on our own culture, on our own society, whether they be Christian or non, whether they be people of faith or or no faith, whatever their background or persuasion, almost universally, people acknowledge that we are searching. Bernard Levin, the late Bernard Levin, now the great uh, London Evening Standard columnist, would, and he wasn't a Christian, would talk a lot about the struggle to make sense of our lives. He, he talked about countries just like ours, Western countries, uh, and he says they're full of people who have all the material comforts that they desire. Together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, they've got everything they think they want, yet lead lives of quiet, sometimes noisy desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that it aches, that it aches. Oliver James, much more recently a clinical psychologist, made famous by his book Britain on the Couch, which was a commentary on today's society, and then more recently his book Affluenza, that looks at the way we try so desperately through affluence to fill a void that we sense we know is missing. He's not a Christian, he just looks at the way that we live and says there's something tugging away at the inside of our lives, something doesn't make sense in the way that we believe that it should. Even stranger, Prince Charles. Fan of Prince Charles? Hands up. Oh, three. Okay, <laughs> just, just, just wondering. Nothing to do. Prince Charles uh, said these words not too long ago. There remains deep in the soul a persistent and unconscious anxiety that something is missing. Some ingredient that makes life worth living. Bonner expressed it for many. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We're searching for something. And our culture encourages us to live in such a way that if you search hard enough, you will find it. It is possible to find that missing piece, P-I-E-C-E, or is it P-E-A-C-E? But you can find it if only you search hard enough. And everywhere we look, we're encouraged to keep searching because it can be found. 
That if I get all my ducks lined up in a row, then somehow I will reach this utopia, this new sense of well-being that until I've got all my ducks in a row has always eluded me. So we spend enormous amounts of energy trying to line up our ducks. If we manage to move to the right area, if I manage to get that promotion, if I manage to achieve stability in my relationships, to find financial security, to get the kids off to college, whatever it might be, if only, if only, if only, when they're all lined up, then all will be well. You don't need me to tell you on this Sunday morning or any day of the week for that matter, that it's a jolly hard way to live, trying to get your ducks lined up. And you know what? If you get your ducks lined up, what's the next thing that happens? One of them moves. (sighs) Orange sauce is the best thing you can do with your ducks. (laughs) Do you know there's something harder, to be honest? There's something harder than living trying to get your ducks all lined up. A tougher moment than that. And it's this. It's getting them all lined up and discovering you still haven't found what you were looking for. Imagine getting to the top of your game, whatever your game is, to discover that it still hasn't met you in the deepest core, that deepest part of your being, that place where it aches, that place where it just doesn't quite make sense. Imagine climbing as hard as you can and furiously at great cost to get to the top of the ladder and as people often say, only to discover that it's leaning against the wrong wall. That's the testimony of so many people in celebrity, in the celebrity world, in the business world, in in social communities. The, The moment of discovery that the thing I believe would make me full when I grabbed it it left me empty. The discovery that the moment that I thought I found everything, it was empty. And I'd found nothing. Enter our man Saul. Because that's the situation in which we find him. If you have a Bible in front of you and want to follow it, I'm in chapter 9, but I'm going to flip around all over the place. So don't worry too much. There was a Benjaminite a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Alphia of Benjamin. Who says, I can't decide what to name my child? There's a fantastic list for you there. Now, the thing you need to understand about Saul is that he had a good heritage. He came from a great family. You see, Kish, his dad, was a man of great standing. If you wanted to be anybody's son, you wanted to be Kish's son. And more than that, his ancestry goes right back to Benjamin, who was the favoured son of uh, Jacob, the, the brother of Joseph. Remember that story back at the end of Genesis. The Bible all fits together and weaves the story. He He was from good stock. And immediately for some of you, that's just a hard thing to hear. Because some of you, you spent half of your life, maybe almost all of your life, trying to overcome coming from not a great family. You wish you'd have been different. To be honest, you wish your parents had loved you differently and looked after you differently. You wish your circumstances were different. You'd gone to a different school. You'd had more financial opportunities. You'd had a different break, a different place, whatever it might be. And you go, oh, Saul, he gets a good heritage. It it gets worse. The Bible says that he was greatly 
handsome. An impressive young man without equal among the Israelites. And then it gives a little bit of explanation. You see, in that culture, because they were warriors and soldiers, to be tall was the mark of being handsome. In our culture, it's being short. <laughs> but, but in that culture, if you were tall, everybody said, oh, he's really handsome, he is. So there we are, Saul, for goodness sake. He's both uh, handsome and tall. I would have gone for just one, but he gets both of them. They're offered to him on a plate. He gets this great family. He's got these great looks. He is the pin-up of the day. He was known throughout all Israel. There was no one like him. The ladies would have pictures on their bedroom walls. The men would have whatever. Um, and, and there it was. He was the man we all, in our different ways, admired and wanted to be like. And maybe there's a bit of jealousy already in you because actually you you wish you didn't quite look the way that you do. And I can understand that. No, 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 this is a joke. We we, we all wish we were different. Almost universally. Even those people that you might say, wow, you look beautiful. They go, oh, I don't, I look ugly. We all struggle with the way we look. Yeah, this guy, he's been given it. Everyone's going, you're fantastic, mate. You've got this great family. You've got these great looks. And to make it worse... He gets the top job. He gets the top job. You're thinking of someone now in your class at school that was like that. They were perfect. They had this great family. They could do everything at work. When it came to sport, they were in everything and won everything. And you always knew they'd get the top job. And you hear about them years later on Facebook or somewhere. And there they are, uh, ruling the world in some capacity. I think I've got some issues I need to deal with there. Some people seem to get everything. And you're thinking of someone now, probably. We all know someone for whom, from our point of view, it looks like that. He's got everything that we want. He's got the fast car and the flashy women and the big mansion in the country. He's got it all. And therefore, by the way that we judge things, Saul is going to be on top of the world. By the way that we judge things, if anyone had a spring in his step, it would be Saul. If anyone would sing in the shower, it would be Saul. If anyone whistled to work, it would be him. But notice where we find him at the most important moment of his life. We're in chapter 10 if you're interested. He's about to become king. It is the big moment. In a sense, everything had led to this moment. He was from a great family and he looked great and he was about to get the top job. Where is he? Well, they get the ceremony together. They gather the tribes. Everybody's waiting. A bit like the inauguration of a president or uh, uh, whatever. Where's Saul? They can't find him. A bit like Kate and William's wedding, and it's like 11 o'clock, and Kate can't be found. Where is she? And they say to to, to God, 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 where where is he? (laughs) And God says, yes, he's hidden himself. He's hiding. He's hiding. This man who has everything, at the greatest moment in his life, they can't find him because he's hiding away. He doesn't want to come out. He, he's not sure he can face it. He's not sure he can, he, he can do it. And so when no one was looking, he hid behind the baggage. Why does he hide? He hides for the reasons we hide. Maybe he's not sure that he's good enough. So that's ridiculous. Hey, some of the greatest achievers in life, deep in their hearts, sense they're not good enough. Maybe he's afraid he'll be found out. 
I talk to so many people that are climbing high in their profession or whatever it, it might be, and they say, Simon, one day I'm afraid someone will find me out. They'll discover I'm not as good as they think I am. They'll discover that I am the way that I feel, which is rubbish and useless and not sure I can do it. Maybe he's feeling guilty and ashamed. He carries dark secrets like you and I do. And he thinks, wow, if they only knew what I carry in my heart, they'd never want me to be king. And he's embarrassed and shameful and guilty and it holds him back. Maybe he's afraid of failing. Better to hide in this baggage than to try something and fail. We all know what that feels like. Maybe he just couldn't believe that he's chosen. He said, how can a man from a great family and looking great and just about to be offered the top job feel like that? Almost everyone feels like that. The more I see the inside track on people's lives, you see people feeling like that in the most surprising of places. Because deep in the core of our being, there's something not quite right. And just like Saul, so often, we hide. Anyway, they drag him out and he becomes king. But this not quite rightness inside him leads to all kinds of trouble. He becomes terribly, terribly concerned about his image. He always has to look good. And so he doesn't mind putting others down in order to make himself look good. He feels that insecure. He's really jealous of anybody else who expresses any ability, like his son Jonathan, who was a great soldier. Saul is so jealous of him because it would take away this image that he needs to portray, that he's, he's, he's great and he's competent and he is everything he should be because he feels so bad inside. He becomes so self-obsessed and it spills out into all kinds of ugly actions. So there he was at odds with himself. The big moment came and he hid in the baggage. This was the way of life for him. Decisions, attitudes and actions bred from that deep insecurity that lay in his heart. And I think many of us live like that. I know you can't say amen in case the person next to you thinks it's you. But it probably is the person next to you. Probably you too. It could even be, imagine this, it could even be the person standing here. That there is desperately within us this sense that something's not altogether right. That for two pins we'd hide away. Do you know I get up on a Sunday morning and I go, I don't want to go to church. Harry says, I'll give you two reasons. One, you're 41 years of age. The second, you're the minister. (laughs) Uh, And so I come. (laughs) Why are you here? That's what I want to (laughs) know. It's a way of life for Saul. And at the end of his life, at the end of his life, he makes this commentary. At the end of his life, he writes his own epitaph, his own autobiography. This is not what someone else has to say. This is not what God says about his life or some other pompous person. This is what Saul said. I wouldn't suggest that God is pompous, uh, but pompous in the sense that people make judgments on others. Uh, At the end of his life, he says this about himself. I've acted like a fool. And I've made many mistakes. I've erred greatly. I've lived out of this insecurity. 
And I've become obsessed with my own status, my own prestige, my own honor. I, I've, I've become obsessed with creating this illusion that I'm all together when inside I'm falling apart. And I've lived like a fool. What a tragedy to discover that at the end of your life. I've lived like a fool. I don't, I don't want to live like a fool, do you? I don't want to end my days looking back and going, well, what a, what a book for living like that. So, so what's the teaching here? What's God saying to us in Saul's story? Well, you need to move forward just a little bit into a glimpse of the, the next king that's coming, King David. Because God says this through the prophet Samuel in chapter 13. Now, Saul, your kingdom will not endure. It will end. If you live out of your own sense of insecurity, your own sense of of unease, it will come to an end, an unhappy end. That way of life will, will come to an end. There is no future in living out of that insecurity, lording it over others to prove to yourself and to others that you're a somebody when deep inside you feel that you're a nobody. That way of life will come to an end. It will never succeed. It will never bear fruit. Your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a new king, a man after God's own heart. There's a new way to live. Living not out of the trouble, the insecurity, the restlessness, the hurt, but a new way to live with God right at the center of your heart. Lifting your life towards God's heart and allowing his heart to meet with yours. A new way to live. And just like Saul... Each one of us need at the core of our being, need that space of restlessness, of hurting, of self-doubt, of insecurity, whatever language you choose to use. Each of us need God to fill that space. That's the message of the whole Bible. That without God, we will feel restless, insecure, full of shame and guilt, and we will always hide away. Adam and Eve, when God came walking in the garden, what did they do? They hid away. Same story right the way through the Bible. Saul here, at his key moment, he's hiding away. You and I, often at key moments, we will hide away. Because we all need God to fill that space. And if God fills that space, just think with me, about the difference that that might be. Some of us will find it really hard to imagine it because it's so out of our experience. Imagine, and that's a very serious point, imagine knowing deep in your heart that you are passionately loved. Some of you will say, I haven't been hugged since I was a little child. I've got no idea what it means to be loved. Imagine knowing deep in the core of your being, that you're loved, not just by another human being, but imagine that the creator of the universe, who says, I'm a father to all, imagine if you knew deep in your being that he loves you, that he likes you, that you're the apple of his eye. When he looks down, he smiles. He's not chuffed with everything you do, maybe, but loves you and longs for you. Imagine what it would mean to know deep in the core of your being that you're truly valued. It's exactly what Stuart and Connor were beginning to express. That there's something altogether different about knowing that God is there for you and that God is with you. 
Imagine the joy of discovering that the God of heaven is really, really, really full on for you today. Imagine that the God of heaven longs more than anything to take away that fear and that worry and that anxiety and that dread and that questioning and that uncertainty. Imagine if it could be different. Living like Saul needs to give way to living like David. And that's the big story in 1 Samuel. That living like Saul needs to give way to living like David. And David very famously said, the Lord is my shepherd. I've got it all. No, you haven't, David. You're just a shepherd boy. You don't even own the sheep you look after. The Lord is my shepherd. I've got it all. Just that thing means that all this doesn't matter one iota because I've got this and this is everything to me. It's a paradox, isn't it? That I can have nothing but have everything. In fact, I could give up everything because I've discovered that it's nothing in order to grab this, which is everything to me. Enter the stories that Lou read a few moments ago that Jesus told. Two beautiful stories that makes this very point. The kingdom of heaven, the real deal, what you really need in your life, not earth, which is here today and gone tomorrow, the kingdom of heaven, the real deal, that's like a treasure. And it's like a treasure that's hidden. But when you find it, you discover in that treasure that it is absolutely everything. So in fact, you'll sell, get rid of everything else. That becomes nothing because this becomes everything. And again, the kingdom of heaven, the real deal is the merchant and he's looking for fine pearls and one day he finds a pearl that is just, just, just out of this world. It's like nothing, he's a, it's everything. And so he gets rid of all that he's known because having that is to have everything and that becomes nothing. Hey, have you found what you're looking for? You don't have to answer me now, but think about it. In your, uh, honest, have you found what you're looking for? Yeah, I've got it right here, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. Have you found what you're looking for? It's a big question, isn't it? And I know it's like lunchtime and I'm gasping for a coffee, to be honest. That's what I'm looking for. Do you know? And I think, oh, coffee and cake is good. Oh, just, but, but just for a moment, you know? You know, you haven't read the Sunday papers yet. The car hasn't got washed. You've rocked up the church. And now I'm making you think about a big, it's a big question. Trouble is, people, people just put it off. They go, oh, I haven't found it, but I, it doesn't really matter. But when your head hits the pillow at night, you, you know something's not right, and you know you're searching for something. And I just want to ask you, have you found what you're looking for? And if you have, hey, cool. I'm here to take away what you think you found. But my experience is people are desperate for something more. They're desperate for this. And people are getting so desperate for this, that they give up all that. Because they want this. You're trying to get all your ducks lined up? Say, I haven't got any ducks. Desperate. But I thought, well, my ducks are all gone. I lost them. The Bible says there's a gaping hole. 
The Bible says that because of that gaping hole we hide, like Adam and Eve and Saul, we find ourselves hiding. Hey, do you know the best thing about playing hide and seek? Have you ever played hide and seek? Do you know what I'm on about? Have you ever played that game where you, you, you count and you send your kids off to hide and then you go and have a drink? Have you ever done that? That's the best thing about hide and seek. You just leave them there and they're, they're sort of there. Dum, dum, dum. And after a while, oh, no, 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 comes from the cupboard. You think, for goodness sake, that's 45 minutes. I've forgotten all about we were playing that. And, and you go looking. I want to tell you something this morning. For people that are in hiding, like you, and so often like me, someone's come looking. Is that good news? If you're in, someone's looking. The Bible says this about Jesus. Somewhere. The Son of Man, Jesus, he's coming looking for those that are hiding, for those that are lost. He's looking. And I don't know where you hide. Maybe you hide by being really busy at work. Maybe you hide by being really busy in the church. Now there's a thought. Maybe you hide by just getting stuck in at home. Close the door at night, put the fire on, read a book, snuggle in. Lock the world away outside. We hide in many different ways. Whichever way you hide, whatever the door is where you are hiding, I want to tell you that Jesus has come all the way from heaven to find you where you're hiding. Isn't that brilliant? He's come all the way from heaven to find you. You might be under the stairs right now and he's knocking on the door under the stairs. He's saying, I'm coming for you. You might be totally stressed out at work and thinking, what's the point? of Here, he's coming for you at your office, at your desk. You might be uh, uh, struggling with small children thinking, why on earth? Did, what's this all about? How come more kids aren't killed by their parents? Uh, he's knocking. He's knocking. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. You're thinking, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3. Can I put them to bed at 4? Probably not. 5, 6. <gasps> he's knocking wherever you're hiding. And he says, this is what I want. Wherever you're hiding, I'm just asking for you to open the door. Because I want to come in and eat. You need to understand the language. It's about, I want to come in and welcome you and hold you. I want to tell you how much I love you. I, I, I want to be part of your life. I want you to be found. That's the message of 1 Samuel. Saul, that way of living comes to an end. God's looking for people after his own heart. And to show how much he longs for you to be after his own heart, he came from heaven. And he's knocking on the door of wherever you're hiding. And he says, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Let's pray. Have you found what you're looking for, really? Maybe you've given your life for your family and for work and for bettering yourself and all of that is in so many ways so commendable. It's a, it's a really tiring way to live to try and get the ducks lined up. And it's a really disheartening way to live to get those ducks lined up and realise it, it's, it's empty. I'm at the top of this ladder and there's nothing here. I'm lonely up here. I'm at the peak of my game. But why do I feel so empty, so insecure? 
When everyone says how well I'm doing, why do I feel like I'm rubbish inside? Why am I not at peace? What's missing? Have you found what you're looking for? Honestly, I believe with all my heart that if you listen this morning, you can hear the knock of Jesus who knocks on the place where you're hiding and says, I'd love to come in. I'd love to come and fill that deepest space. I'd love you to know that I love you. And when I died on the cross, I took all those feelings of wrong and guilt and shame and restlessness and I nailed it to the cross that it might die there. And when I rose again, it was a sign that in its place I can give you brand new life. The Bible says if you open your heart to Jesus, I will come in.